0: It's the Adam Ragusea podcast, episode 35, powderized for your convenience. We're gonna be talking about all kinds of nutritional powders today and whether they work. Lauren is here. Hello. She just turned 40, happy birthday to Lauren. Time now to ask Adam. Adam. Hi Adam, Uh, my name's Walter from Seattle and I had a question about fiber supplementation and maybe more specifically psyllium husk fiber when Googling fiber supplementation. Uh, it lists some of its benefits as being able to control glucose absorption into the system, and it also helps you feel full longer. And for someone like you who's looking to build muscle, it seems like that might be a negative. Um, I know you said in the meals you made with Dr. Mike that quantity actually kind of seemed to be an issue. And that being the case, how does somebody who's on a bodybuilding diet maybe balance that with digestive health? Um, and then I guess in the inverse, for people who are doing you know, long cardio exercises, triathletes, uh, you know, any sort of marathon running or things like that, the carbs and protein might be harder to access from their system. And would that possibly reduce their overall performance? So I've researched a response to this that will address the specific kind of athletic concerns the questioner raises, but um, I think we should sort of broaden this to answer some fiber and fiber supplementation questions that would be wondered by people in the general public, not just people with delusions of being jacked one day. Um, What?
1: (laughs) Delusions.
0: Delusions. I'm never going to look like Dr. Mike.
1: And all due respect to Dr. Mike. I'm pleased about it. (laughs) Wow.
0: Okay. Well, different strokes for different folks, I guess. So real quick, just to remind everybody, what is dietary fiber? Dietary fiber is... You know, there's a, there's a broad definition, and a narrow definition. The broad definition is pretty much anything in your food that you can't digest that just comes out the other end, basically the way it came in. Um, and then there's sort of more dar- narrow definitions that would describe it as particular kinds of polysaccharides, and it usually are is polysaccharides. Which think of it like. Indigestible carbs, basically. Uh, even though some of these things aren't technically carbs, things like lignin, which is the polysaccharide in wood that makes wood woody, that's dietary fiber. Uh, all kinds of things. That so. Uh, the thing about fiber uh, is that there's two kinds of it, two two general categories, and that would be the, your soluble fiber and your insoluble fiber. And then even within that, there's actually some more subtle shades of distinction that we need to sort of talk about. So, in the world of like dietary fiber, medical advice, etc., what the experts will tell you is, fiber needs to gel to keep your patients well. <laughs> Sounds delicious, doesn't it? Fiber needs to gel to keep your patients well. Okay, so what does that mean? Gelling fiber is the soluble fiber, the kind that dissolves into water and forms this gel that slows down digestion, specifically in your small intestine. So that's the first first intestine that your food hits, right? And that's where most of your nutrients are absorbed is in your small intestine. So the soluble fiber forms a gel, and that slows everything down. And for most of us eating in rich countries where we're eating way too much sugar and stuff like that, it slows the absorption of sugar into our bloodstream and keeps us kind of nice and fed at an even level instead of having massive spikes and, and troughs in our blood sugar that provokes insulin response and eventually leads to type two diabetes and all that kind of stuff. So that's really, really good. It also, um, soluble fiber traps um, lipids and specifically uh, cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, and you end up just passing some of the, your dietary cholesterol as a result. Fiber needs to gel to keep your patients well. Then there's the insoluble fiber, which is the stuff that doesn't absorb water, and it's there to uh, keep things moving along. How should we put it?
1: That sounded about right. Sounded
0: about right. It's nature, <laughs> nature's broom, right? <laughs> and. And this has the advantage of well, a especially in like in you know in a rich country diet where we generally eat too much food, it just kind of adds non-caloric bulk to your food that kind of just gives you the, the tactile physical feeling of being full. And there's an interesting question as to what extent that actually matters versus like hormonal instincts of uh, hormonal indications of satiety, which usually are not caused by like just there being bulk in your system, rather it's caused by kind of the chemical content of that bulk. But anywho,
1: really glad I could be here for the poop show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it's gonna get better, honey. <laughs> okay, it's gonna get so much better. <laughs> and uh, so what? What the solu- What the insoluble fiber helps you do is to clear everything out, and that. Prevents kind of common butt diseases, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it can help with like IBS and and stuff like that. Um, colon cancer apparently too, because it just it clears all. You know, your the waste in your body is filled with carcinogens, and the quicker you can clear it out, so it's not in contact with your colon, the better, right? Um, so
1: insoluble fiber for that.
0: For, for that exactly. Okay. But for most of the other health benefits you hear associated with fiber. There you're talking about soluble fiber, the 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 fiber that gels, and a lot of fiber supplements historically have been much heavier on the insoluble fiber than the soluble fiber. Why would you guess, honey? Why would you think that the makers of fiber supplements would be hesitant to put soluble fiber into their product given that it gels? I don't know. It's gross. Ew. People don't want to drink it.
1: Oh, I yeah. see, I see, I see. Yeah.
0: Nobody wants to drink like a glass of gel.
1: Yeah. I don't like to drink fiber anyway. That's why I like the chewable tabs. Mm. So I don't know what's in those.
0: <laughs> well, see, th- what's ironic is that, um, you know, Lauren, who, who you know, has, has some digestive issues, as we all do, as we get older, <laughs> as we get into our 40s. Oh. Uh-
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: You know, she wants to take fiber supplements, but they all have these artificial sweeteners in them that yeah. completely wreck her digestion.
1: Sorbitol and aspartame and all of that makes yeah. my stomach hurt so bad. Yeah.
0: Because some people, some people, they can eat that stuff and it just, they just pass it through their system. But other people have a gut microbiome where there's like buggies in your intestine that will eat the sorbitol and all that kind of stuff. And then they create metabolites that aggravate you. It's awful. Just awful. Yeah. Um, but you can even buy like unsweetened, uh, you know, fiber supplements. It can just be a little bit harder to find. But anyway, so historically fiber supplement makers did not want to put soluble fiber into their products because people didn't want to drink them and therefore they didn't want to buy them. <laughs> um, there's, is this
1: before? Because I assume there's encapsulated fiber.
0: There is, but it's kind of it's tricky. It's tricky to do because A, you just need a lot of it, you Mm -hmm. know, like it's like, it's kind of like protein. Like people ask, oh, why do I have to take my protein powder in like a, a viscous drink? Why can't I just take a pill? And it's because it's a macronutrient, not a micronutrient. You don't need a little of it. You need a lot of it. And you just literally can't fit it into a pill.
1: Yeah. I will say when I do take those chewable fiber supplements, it's the, the, the Mm. label tells you to have. Three, three times a day, which three, is three,
0: three times a day, which is a lot. That's a lot. They're
1: delicious, but oh, really? Oh yeah.
0: Oh, okay.
1: But also, it. I mean, it's expensive.
0: Yeah. So, um, the the industry eventually settled on this one particular fiber called psyllium which is the, uh, like the, the husk of a seed from a natively Mediterranean like, little desert bush that no one has ever heard of or cares about, but it, it, for some reason, its husk has like, exactly the right properties where it checks all the boxes. And the boxes you wanna check for a fiber supplement are solubility, viscosity, gel formation, okay? It does all of those things. And then there's what's called the, they call the degree or rate of fermentation. And that's kind of the newer area of of research into fiber as a a beneficial thing for you to eat. Um, And that's where psyllium kind of fails. Psyllium is not super fermentable. So honey, would you prepare a, a dose of this for me? We've got some psyllium husk fiber store brand um it's the dosage is a teaspoon so just eyeball like a teaspoon in there okay. if you could and I'll, I'll drink it you don't have to drink it also because i think there's sorbitol in the, there
1: they're aspartame
0: aspartame aspartame okay no, so just uh just dump in like a about a oh. teaspoon of the powder yeah i thought you already had no one. i hadn't mixed it up yeah Sorry, go ahead i
1: thought this was like tv magic
0: oh no you're the tv magic honey <laughs> uh, all right. right so um no, it's about a teaspoon so more than that more than that more than that
1: i'm so bad at eyeballing
0: measurements you are just fine that's good. Alright. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're not supposed to breathe it in, apparently. Ooh, it's very orange. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Uh, so this one, as has become kind of common and standard for psyllium supplements, also contains maltodextrin. It
1: smells like tang.
0: I think it's gonna taste like tang. Is it gonna send me to space? Mmm. Oh. That's totally tolerable. That's totally fine. So there's maltodextrin in there as well uh, because that's a fermentable fiber. And fermentable fibers are like things that you can't digest, but that your gut bacteria can. And then they create metabolites that are probably very beneficial for us in a number of ways. And that's like a a relatively new area of research. But whenever you hear people talking about gut health and feeding your gut microbiome, this is basically what they're talking about. Um, And so- Basically, they figured out a way to process psyllium so that it is a soluble fiber, but it like, it solubilizes slowly so that in the drink, in the freshly mixed drink, this just basically, it, it tastes like tang. It has the texture of water. Or like it's it's fine. Do you
1: have to chug it?
0: Um, I don't know how fast it gels.
1: Maybe we should let it sit here for the rest of the show and we can check it at the end.
0: It probably like gels in response to your stomach acid or something like that. But anyway, it does gel in your system. And that's how they created like the new generation of like pretty effective, apparently uh, fiber supplements. Now, um, here's a th- the, like the giant kind of caveat to put on all of that, which is that um, if, you, if you look at like the clinical trials of fiber supplements, where they, you know, in an experimental situation, highly monitored uh, physician prescribes a particular fiber supplement, a patient takes it, and they're tr- tracking their other diet and all that kind of stuff. What they find is that um, in an experimental context, in clinical trials, fiber is really effective at doing all of the good health things that fiber generally does for people. But if you look at the population studies, the observational studies, where it's not under controlled circumstances, you're just looking at, at what people out do naturally out in the wild and what they report to a, to a physician who's interviewing them uh, about what they do and what they eat and all that kind of stuff. If you look at that, um, it breaks down. The, that that data is not nearly as promising about the beneficial uh, aspects of a fiber supplement. And there's a couple potential explanations as to why that may, might be the case. One might be that people who say they're taking fiber supplements aren't really like they they're they're like you, honey, where like they they've got the tablets, but they're not really taking all, three three times a yeah. day, right? Right. Um, another How do you forget. Another could be that they're just taking bad fiber supplements. Um, so there's a lot of research has shown that the kind of processing that, that the industry does to the fiber actually changes it and reduces its gel forming capacity. So high heat, um, uh, hydrolyzation, the kinds of things that you would do in a factory setting to make a product that's standardized and doesn't taste like anything and isn't <laughs> gross um, and, has, and has like endless shelf life, right? That can reduce the gel formation properties of the fiber supplements. So it might be that some of the people in these observational studies are just taking really bad fiber supplements. It could also be that um, it's it's sort of the rest of the person's diet kind of affecting the results. Cause basically it, it would be really hard to eat a healthy diet that wasn't incidentally high in fiber, right? Mm. Like if you're eating lots of vegetables and, and fruits, fruits and whole grains, yeah. which are the things you need to eat for a million other reasons, mm. you're also going to get a lot of fiber. And the inverse is probably true, right? Like it would be hard It would would take some doing to eat a healthy diet that wasn't high in fiber.
1: But it's very easy to eat a poor diet that has no fiber. As I found out when I went to the doctor and she was like, hey, you should track your fiber to see how much you're getting. And I was like, oh, no, not even close.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, legit. And this is like, this is, you know, one of the biggest problems with the Western diet. They mm-hmm. they say that, you know, like 90% of people in developed countries, not just Western countries, but 90% of people in all developed countries are getting way too little fiber. There is, however, an example of an otherwise healthy diet that has very low fiber And that is the bodybuilding diets, which is where we started, right? Oh,
1: because it's like chicken and rice.
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) So a guy like Dr. Mike over at Renaissance Periodization, which is an excellent YouTube channel, I think you should follow if you're interested in exercise science, like he goes out of his way to lower the fiber of the food that he's eating. So he's not gonna eat brown rice, he's gonna eat white rice because as the questioner um, mentions, there's the possibility, you know, he's a guy who like wants all of his blood glucose right away, right? Because he did, just did a giant monster workout and his body is ready for that blood glucose. He can, ha- I mean, he can use that giant spike in blood glucose that he's gonna get from eating white rice. And in like, you know, hardcore competitive bodybuilders who are on all kinds of drugs, they will even take insulin so that they can absorb even more glucose in Mm -hmm. one sitting than their body could normally handle. Is that,
1: that seems unhealthy.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, you think? You think?
1: I just, this is our endless debate is that you tell me about things bodybuilders are doing and I'm like, that sounds just as bad as street drugs. (laughs) Like, why? Yeah, Yeah. they're
0: they're, they're here for a good time, not a long time.
1: (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, in their effort to uh, have a good time with the nutrients they're pounding down their gullets, uh, they also try to avoid fiber because if you you were to eat brown rice at the quantity at which a a guy like Dr. Mike has to eat rice, he would spend half of his life in the bathroom. Like half of his waking hours would be in the bathroom.
1: So... (laughs) But can he eat the quantity of white right, white rice? Like, but like. I
0: don't know. Why I'm sipping this freaking i
1: <laughs> <Metamucil>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I recreationally. Just gonna let that go. Like it's a fancy cocktail. <laughs> it's just in
0: front of me, I mean, so I do it. Do you want to
1: take it away? No, no, so it's don't. fine. It's fine. But like, if you have to eat this much rice, uh-huh. But you need this much fiber. Could you put this much brown rice in your white rice? So you well, get the thing some. Is,
0: the thing is, they just they generally don't need to because. Even if your food is proportionally very low in fiber, you're eating so much food that you end up getting enough fiber.
1: Oh. Right? Okay. Um,
0: and plus, they, you know, they eat vegetables or the good ones eat vegetables. The idiots don't. Um, but Mike, uh, Dr. Mike apparently buys like big bags of broccoli slaw like that's that's his main staple broccoli which sounds really convenient and you know they make it from the they make broccoli slaw from the stem of the broccoli yeah. which normally gets thrown away right yeah. so it's mm-hmm. that's like a good byproduct and hmm. very sustainable <laughs> bodybuilders so interested in sustainability <laughs> Oh they are they are the like they're the coal barons of the diet world. Like it's the least sustainable way to eat. They've got got their like
1: chicken houses in the backyard. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're like just back up the eighteen wheelers to my house. All the beef
0: I'll put one more uh, caveat or asterisk on this fiber supplementation conversation before we move on to more palatable (laughs) topics. um, Which is that one hopes a lot of the research on fiber supplements has either been funded or directly performed by Procter and Gamble, which owns the Metamucil company. Now, the cynical reading of that would be-
1: You need fiber, so buy my fiber.
0: Yes. Um, The the less cynical reading that I I think I kind of favor this other reading, which is that basically it's like they did the research about what kind of fiber actually works, and therefore that's the reason that they make the fiber the way they do. Sure. I I don't, I, I just think it's so intellectually lazy to just assume bad faith and ill intent on every single large company that makes nutritional supplements or, or anything or medicines or anything like that. I, I mean, they're, they're, absolutely there are problems within those industries, but in general, like they research, they, they research the product they're trying to make. They find out the most effective way to make it. And that's what they make because that's their basic job.
1: Sure. I guess if you're talking about something like fiber, which is generally agreed upon by the medical community to be beneficial and necessary versus, you know, there's when you start getting into things like probiotics and other ashwagandha and supplements like that. And things you, that
0: are less well tested. Yeah, yeah. Then
1: then you really need to read closer on that. This is not, a you know, approved as a med- medicine by the FDA or whatever.
0: Yeah. And there, Although the FDA nonetheless approves Statements that you can make or claims that you can make about dietary supplements, which is why that disclaimer is patently false on its face. Um, whenever a, a supplement company is saying, like, this particular vitamin supports X, assuming they had a, a good lawyer working at the company, what they're doing is they're using what's called um, approved claims, which is literally language that the FDA reviewed and approved. And yet the FDA makes you put this disclaimer on the product that says these claims have not been reviewed by the FDA, which is patently false.
1: Well, okay, can – is the approved language by the FDA a blanket for, say, all probiotics can say this? No, no, no. no, It's not your specific probiotic.
0: Yes, granted. Exactly. Yes, that is is, is the distinction. That is a meaningful distinction. Yes, it's like – this is the things that you can say about vitamin B twelve. Right. Generally, they don't. We don't. We we at the FDA. We don't know if this if this guy's vitamin B twelve is a good vitamin B twelve. Yeah. But in general, I think it would be pretty hard to screw up vitamin B twelve. Anywho, uh, so cheers <laughs> to everyone enjoying. Mm. Their fiber supplements is
1: it getting gelatinous no
0: not yet my guess is that it's like something in your stomach chemistry that that actually triggers the gelling process it's not so bad
1: there's there, there, there seems to be a little a
0: little bit it's gelling a little bit yeah okay well you know what's a lot easier to enjoy uh a fine cocktail from <laughs> shaker and spoon sponsor of this episode Shaker and Spoon is a monthly cocktail subscription box that delivers the craft cocktail experience right to your front door. Every single uh, month you get a box with a whole bunch of fun things in it, all kinds of little oh, tincture. Sorry. Oh, there's a lot of yeah, packing sorry. material in there. It's okay, just throw it on the ground. Yeah, oh, <laughs> nice, yeah. We'll clean that up later, <laughs> exactly. Whoa, ah! nice.
1: Last time it was a chai, next time I'm gonna just drop oh, the cocktails. Oh, I know,
0: you're just a disaster, honey. So they come with all kinds of like fun little things. Oh, is that cinnamon?
1: Cinnamon. Yeah. like a, I love the little tiny droppers of Colorado lavender cocktail. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. See, I'm very. I want to get into mixology, but I don't want to buy like 80 million giant bottles of things that I'm going to use a teeny little bit of. So this is why I like yeah. shaker and spoon. That's- I, aren't those adorable?
1: They make nice gifts. Their presentation is very nice. Indeed,
0: a shaker and spoon subscription would be an excellent gift for the cocktail lover in your life. Uh, Every single box comes with everything you would need to make three original recipes created by world-class bartenders that you cannot find anywhere else. And you get enough of the ingredients to make 12 total drinks. So four drinks from each recipe. And I am enjoying here the Pretty Poppin', which is, uh, I I like that name. So it's Scotch... Grapefruit elderflower barmalade, which I guess is marmalade that you use in a bar. Barmalade. That's adorable. Uh, Agave nectar and lavender bitters and club soda. And let's see.
1: Is it better than the...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Better than fiber supplements? Yes, ma'am, it is. And significantly better. Uh, Each box that you get is generally formulated so that it works with like one bottle of booze that you have so you don't have to buy a whole bunch of different alcohols in order to make all of the uh, recipes. And they've got video demonstrations on their website now about how to make the cocktails, but the, the paper instructions are really easy to follow and yeah, even I can do it. So <laughs> click the link below uh, on the description. If you're watching this on YouTube or in the show notes, if you're uh, listening to the pod, click that link and use my code Ragusia at checkout, or just go straight to shakerandspoon.com ragusia for $20 off your first- First box. That's shakerandspoon.com slash or just click the link below and uh, use that code ragusia for $20 off your first box. Thank you, Shaker and Spoon. Hey, Adam. Uh, my name's Yazeed. I'm from a city outside of Toronto called Mississauga. Right now I'm in grad school studying biotech at Hopkins in Baltimore, and I spent some time in food science as well, did a few internships. I recently started taking green supplements, so I'm taking the blend just because i'm sure you know like being in college getting all your veggies and it's kind of hard so i want to know if you had any opinions on whether or not like green supplements work as to whether or not they could actually you know maybe not replace but contribute towards your daily servings of fruits and vegetables and if there may be any underlying like deleterious health effects that could come out of me taking it every day thanks Okay, I went ahead and I, I bleeped the specific brand of uh, of green supplement that uh, the questioner was asking about, just because I don't want to get into trouble with commenting on specific products or anything like that. We will talk generally about green supplements. Green supplements are this kind of new category of dietary supplement that is kind of it's kind of like a multivitamin, but instead of a multivitamin, it's a powder, and it's usually green because green is good, I guess. I don't know. Um, Is it made of like kale and stuff? Yeah. They'll have like powderized, you know, actual like dark leafy greens in it, potentially. Some of them certainly do that. Um, But also it could be a a rather literal case of greenwashing. I don't know. Depends on the product. So I'm going to talk generally about this category of supplements, which I had to look into. I think I'll pull back the curtain and tell this story. So about a year ago, um, my beloved agent, Colin, uh, booked a sponsorship with one of these greens companies. And he, you know, he, he's awesome. And whenever we bring in a new sponsor, he says, Hey, are you comfortable, you know, working with this particular company? And I'll look at it and I'll say, yeah, sure. Thumbs up or thumbs down. And I say thumbs down quite frequently, just so you know. Um, and I just, I don't know, I was re- it was, I was, I was super busy. It was even busier last year than I am this year. And I just didn't give it enough time. And I said, yeah, sure. It looks good and then i went down to like actually do the video and do the sponsorship and i was looking at their they send you what's called a brief which is just kind of all of the mm-hmm. the points that they want you to touch on for their product and i was looking at it and i was just like i i don't know if i can do this like there's a there's so many claims here that I have questions about. And not not that there are any of them are like false on their face, they weren't, but there's just so many health claims because these green powders have so many ingredients. Mm-hmm. That's kind of their virtue, right? Is that they're, it, they're supposed to have not only the things that you could fit into a multivitamin capsule, but also some things that you couldn't fit into a multivitamin capsule. Like for example, fiber, which we've just mm. been talking about. Some of them will also be fiber supplements and some of them will also have... Um, <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, some of them will <coughs> also have,
1: have, have a shaker and <laughs> spoon uh, cocktail. Exactly.
0: Mm So good for my health too, that that scotch. (laughs) Um, In moderation, of course, it's lovely. Uh, Anyways, um, so they'll also contain like lecithin, which is there to help you digest the fat-soluble vitamins, even if you're not having it with fat.
1: Oh, like we talked about last time with vitamin D.
0: Exactly. Got to have
1: it with a Snickers bar.
0: (laughs) And it must be a Snickers bar. Nothing else has nearly enough fat.
1: Do they powderize the Snickers bar? (laughs) (laughs)
0: If you mix that with water Would the result be like a Snickers milkshake That sounds great
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean a lot of those The powdered greens go in People put them in smoothies Uh So a powdered Snickers See I'm healthy
0: but the thing it anyway, because because most vitamins can only be absorbed into your body in the presence of fat in your small intestine, uh, you, you have to have them with foods. So that's why like you know a, a pill bottle of vit- multivitamins will say you need to have this with your breakfast or whatever. And one of the selling points of the green powders is that you might not necessarily have to have it with a meal although I think a lot of them say recommend having it with a meal anyway, which. Yeah, makes sense. Anywho, so which is good
1: that they're not selling themselves as meal replacements because that's pretty. Tough.
0: I think some of them are.
1: Oh um, yeah, don't do that. Anywho,
0: but this particular one, I just it, there were no outrageous statements. It was just and. It was just so. I had so many questions that I couldn't answer to my own satisfaction before the video had to go live. That I I called Colin and I was like, I'm so sorry, man. I think I need to kill this deal, and I'll I'll cover any costs associated with with doing that. And and he was super cool about it, and the company was super cool about it. And they said, Hey, could Adam like write up a document with all of his concerns about our product because we would just love to know. And I did that later when I had the time to do it. And to like their credit, they like researched everything that I said and sent me back this incredibly lengthy document with all of their supporting research and, you know, justifying why their product is the way it is. And that made me feel all the more bad for killing that deal. Cause it's just, I don't, that's not the Would way- Would
1: you I... take them back?
0: Maybe. I certainly, that's not the way I like to do business is to like do a deal and then yeah. break it. That's if not-
1: You're a marketing person from this secret company.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I mean- the other thing about you know that particular one was that they contained it contained like really high doses of certain vitamins. Oh, and
1: you're concerned. I remember this. You were mm-hmm. concerned that it was just like over overdosing yourself on stuff you didn't need.
0: Right. And it's such a complicated thing when you start reading the, the scientific literature on this topic because scientists are always doing these experimental studies where they give people ultra high dose vitamin B6 or something like that. And they, they're they constantly, you know, turning up findings that find that they can help uh, ultra, ultra high doses of vitamins way beyond the recommended dailies can be beneficial for all kinds of things or slowing a cognitive decline with a particular cognitive decline disease or, you know, uh, reducing your risk of cancer. Like there's, there's some some studies showing ultra high dose vitamin C can reduce your risk of certain cancers but at the same time there's also a million studies showing that ultra high doses of vitamins and minerals can also have these health risks associated with them and it's all a question of degree and science is still kind of figuring that all out and i i just felt nervous about that particular product but you know they wrote me back with like links to all of these studies and 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 you know justifying why they had set the dosages where they did and i was just like well you know this is this seems pretty well reasoned to me and again i felt just like a jerk for for killing that deal, but you know, hey, be- better to be cautious, right? Um, when it comes to comes to your health, which is why, whenever if you were to ask like a nutrition, any kind of you know, credential nutrition expert as opposed to some dude on the internet, <laughs> if you were to ask any kind of cred- credential nutrition expert, like, hey, should I go for these green powders? What do you think that they would say?
1: Just eat a balanced diet.
0: Exactly, they'll say they'll say just eat food, just eat freaking salad, and that is like the least helpful advice. Mm-hmm. On the planet. Cause everybody knows that they're supposed to be eating the damn salad. Okay? Yeah. The thing is we live in the real world <laughs> where either we don't like the salad, we can't afford the salad because fresh produce is expensive and inaccessible for a lot of people. Or we just we just we just have something else that we need to do that day, you know?
1: You're shaking uh, my chair every I, time you speak and it's oh, making I'm, me nauseous. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. yes. Okay, so
0: I will I'm gonna take my arm. <laughs> And have it at my sides <laughs> can you, can you like we just, don't like each other. Oh
1: my God. Could you just cut this part out? <laughs>
0: nope. Nope. That's <not> staying. <laughs>
1: you're just when you're gesturing my whole chair is like
0: That's this. staying in the program. I feel
1: like I'm on a ride.
0: <laughs> you, life with me is a ride, baby. <laughs> don't you know?
1: Oh, we're, you're a delight. Thank okay. You. Anyway.
0: Anyways. So, yes, obviously the best thing is to eat a healthy diet. To be
1: fair, I will say that the green, the, the powdered greens are probably more expensive than eating a salad every day. You think so? Probably, yeah. Wow. Um, Definitely the ones that you were offered.
0: I would have to do the math on that. Um, But anyway, so if you can't eat a good diet, then yes, I... Seems to me that supplements like this are, are are have a lot of potential, and the experts would also say, well, they, they haven't been researched enough. And it's like, well, yeah, but like almost nothing in nutrition has been researched enough. Uh, food hasn't been researched enough. Like the reason they tell you to do food rather than supplements is that we've at least been eating food for like hundreds of thousands of years, and so there's just kind of anecdotal, experiential evidence of what kinds of foods are good for you and what kinds of foods are bad for you. But like a lot of it is really kind of not proven with hardcore scientific data, so...
1: I would just be suspicious that the processes by which, you know, a bunch of kale is turned into a powder, does that strip it of its actual nutritional benefit? Are and the
0: answer you- is that, like, a lot of those kind of processes could do that, but also these companies aren't dumb and they have actual scientists working for them who are working to formulate a product that mitigates those hazards and it's it's you have to decide whether or not you trust the company to be intellectually honest about what they're doing and and that seems like no different from any other kind of relationship that we as consumers have with producers of products, you know? Like same thing with, like, the house that we're living in, you know? <laughs> and you could say, oh, well, there were there were building codes that they had to follow when they built the house. Well, yeah, but there's there's also all kinds of regulations that supplement makers have to follow. Just because it has that label on it that says, you know, the FDA has not reviewed any of these claims, which isn't really true, doesn't mean that they're not underneath all kinds of – subject to all kinds of regulation. Right. They are. But- they have massive legal and compliance departments, these companies. and.
1: But the question here is, like – the deleterious effect of switching your entire leafy green fibrous you know whatever diet it, yeah, but the, like to the, so wouldn't the answer be to try to continue to try to eat a healthy diet and hedge your bets with greens, but don't be like, this is the replacement, like I'm putting all of my dietary faith in this thing, and
0: yeah, sure. And certainly, the companies would say, this is a supplement, you should still be eating a healthy diet mm-hmm. and that's why like I, I I suspect you know I suspect that the one reason why I suspect the population level observational studies of dietary supplements in general tend to find kind of lackluster results, one explanation for that that is often postulated is that people who are conscious enough of their health to be taking the supplement in the first place are already probably leading reasonably healthy lives. Mm. It's not the total disasters of of people whose diets and lifestyles are a total disaster generally aren't also taking the green powders, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: Unless, Well, like he said, he's in college and that can temporarily really derail your diet, especially if you say you're eating on a meal plan or something.
0: Freshman 15. Got me to get you? Well, it's not you about You were a little bird.
1: Yes. Um it's not about the pounds, it's I know, about the I know. nutrition. Yes, it's of like you know th- that was the thing is like I didn't gain weight in college, but I sure as shit wasn't healthy when I was like hydrating myself with coca-cola and eating from the sparrow every day like no it was like the top we had a taco we had a mcdonald's in the basement of my dorm and you could use your meal points there so i was not rolling on good nutrition
0: if the good people at sparrow want to sponsor one of my programs <laughs> let me tell you adam okay, loves okay, love sparrow. sparrow the best part of going to the airport <laughs> is Sparrow.
1: So we have a question for you Uh, off topic about Sparrow because there's a Sparrow in the mall and I've noticed they've tried to up their game by they take your slice and they throw it in a wood-fired oven before they give it to you. uh? Does that take some of the joy out of Sparrow? Cause isn't yeah. Sparrow supposed to be like sort of rubbery? Well, it's salty more just goodness? that I
0: think it's it's that they don't get a ton of foot traffic at that Sparrow, uh-huh. at least not in the times of day when we go there, because we're not idiots <laughs> and we know to not go to the mall at certain times, yeah. like now, <sighs> you know. Um, whereas, like my love of Sparrow really blossomed at Penn State, where there was a Sparrow in the student union building, and like the. They were turning product. <laughs> let me tell you. So you were getting so fresh. So it was really fresh. fresh yeah. Exactly. Fresh Sparrow. slices. And it's it's the the pizza that they do on a it's called a screen, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they put it on a pizza screen. And that way, like it's 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 easier to train employees to bake pizzas on screens because you don't have to worry about kind of shimming it off of paddles or anything mm-hmm. like that. And the screen kind of creates this kind of almost like air fried kind of texture on the bottom of the pizza that, oh, it's so good.
1: <laughs> anyway, powdered greens. Anyway, powdered greens.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, it, it seems to me that they could have a great role in your diet, depending on you, and depending on the product. And I know that that's incredibly unhelpful advice, but that's just kind of the way it is. And really, nobody can give you much better advice than that because there's just too many unknowns.
1: Well, get a physical, get your annual yes, physical, sure. and compare your your blood work numbers.
0: Mm. Talk to your doctor about it. That's the like, thing that we say whenever we talk about health stuff in the media that supposedly mm. gets us out of all potential legal hazard. Although I will say, say I talk feel to your like about
1: multiple it. times I've heard from various doctors when it comes to things like supplements, mm-hmm. um, Americans have the most expensive pee in the world.
0: Yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> we're we, just
1: like, whoosh, yes. right through.
0: Because in the case of the water-soluble vitamins, like the B vitamins, if you ingest more of that than your body can use, you will pee it out readily. Which is why, like, the risk of ODing on water soluble vitamins is usually lower than the risk of ODing on the fat soluble vitamins because they can get stored in your fat cells and then accumulate, like, bioaccumulate in your body but and could,
1: um, the water soluble vitamins and overdose on them hurt your kidneys
0: yes they can potentially hurt your kidneys or your stomach like incredibly high dose vitamins. is a can,
1: battlefield <laughs>
0: well it's all anything is toxic in sufficient quantity you know that's true you can OD on water for God's that's sake
1: that's why all those Instagram accounts telling you that like what is it? Um, Subway bread is made of yoga mats and it's all toxic. And it's like the dose makes the poison, my friend.
0: Dose makes the poison. Great message. I hope you heard it loud and clear. You can hear it even louder or and or clearer with the help of Raycon, sponsor of this episode. Raycon makes premium audio products like these earbuds, these everyday earbuds that I absolutely love. They also make headphones and speakers that are incredible. They've got awesome kind of colors and they're fun looking and 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 they sound fantastic, but they, they're they way more affordable than other premium audio brands and absolutely fantastic as a gift. Mom, dad, co-worker, uh, fitness lover in your life, gamer in your life that's going to want gaming headphones absolutely go to buyraycon.com slash show right now, and you can save 15% off everything site-wide with the code HOLIDAY and plus get free shipping. And there's even more stuff that uh, Raycon is doing to help you out for the holidays as you are looking for gifts for the audio lover in your life. Um, They're having a countdown to Christmas with a new pop-up flash deal that you can take advantage of every single day, a different one every day. Today's deal is for the fitness earbuds, which have particularly great fit secure fit for if you're you know bouncing up and down while you're wearing your earbuds and particularly great waterproofing on them as well to handle all of your sweat and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but they're doing a different deal every single day. Check it out the website every single day. You can also buy Raycon now at uh, stores like Kohl's or Walmart. But let me tell you right now, you're always gonna get the best deal if you go to buyraycon.com ragusia show. Right now, 15% off your Raycon purchase site wide. Um, I love the everyday earbuds because they they came with um, a whole bunch of different little soft silicone tips to try and you can get a a perfect fit by just picking the one that's right for your ear canal. And I absolutely hate earbuds that don't really kind of fit in my ear and they make me very uncomfortable on number of levels. And uh, and these just fit fantastic. The battery life is absolutely great. The audio is great. Um, absolutely love these earbuds. Take them to the gym every single time I go. So go to buyraycon.com slash show and uh, get 15% off site-wide with code HOLIDAY plus free shipping. Thank you, Raycon. All right, we got one more uh, question to answer. uh, It's a text one. Could you read it, honey?
1: Sure. Aria Aiden writes, I'd love to hear you talk about soul food, how a lot of the traditional recipes originated, its overall influences, and your thoughts on it in general.
0: So we have recently moved away from a place where we got nonstop great soul food in Macon, Georgia. Yeah. Um, If you're ever in
1: Macon, you have to go to H&H Soul Food. mm -hmm. Famous. Mama um, Louise. Who... Rest in peace. Oh, R.I.P. That's right. She, she just, just passed. passed. Yeah. Um, but famous for taking in the Almond Brothers when they were poor, skinny hippies and feeding them. Yeah. Um, and then they took her on tour with them to feed them.
0: Mama Louise. Yeah. R.I.P.
1: Um. So.
0: Yeah. Good. Plus,
1: there's tons of other like great meat and three places there.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, great, great, great food because. Macon, Georgia is on the kind of flat plain part of the US South that was conducive to plantation style agriculture, which is why enslaved people were abducted and brought there to work. And why their descendants remain there to this day. And the black population remains really, really high across those flatter areas of the South. We ended up moving to East Tennessee, which is super mountainous and was not conducive to. um,
1: It's more of an Appalachian. Yeah, yeah.
0: Not conducive to plantation architecture. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's it's the land of poor white people historically. Um, And as a result, the black population that we have in Knoxville basically got here in much the same way that black population arrived in northern um, uh, urban capitals, right? Via the Great Migration, where after the Civil War and emancipation, and when uh, formerly enslaved people were trying to escape the systems of land tenure that were basically slavery under, an, under under another name here in the South. They went seeking uh, factory jobs in big northern cities, and they also left for big cities in the South that just hadn't historically been conducive to plantation agriculture. And Knoxville is one of those. So most of the of our black population is people who got here via that basic pathway. And I mention all of this to explain where the historical origin of the term soul food comes from. It's a term that that arose in the mid-20th century in the North, mostly. It was a way of... Um, Black people who had brought their food and their culture with them to a new place. It was a term that they applied kind of retroactively to distinguish it from the new food ways that they encountered in Chicago or Detroit or Mm -hmm. Knoxville or wherever they had kind of ended up. So it's a new term. It's not an old term. And why that's relevant is that it's a frequent topic of debate in the American South whether soul food is different in any way from Southern food.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whether soul food just is Southern food.
1: Well, I think part of it too is that you had Southern white people who, for generations, their food was prepared by, you know, black enslaved people. Exactly, and yes. Those were, you know, when they began to learn to cook, right, exactly. they learned from-
0: So as a result, like white Southern food is really similar to black Southern food because at least historically, black people were the one cooking it for the rich white people and the poor white people cooked for themselves and cooked very much in the same way that black people cooked for themselves because they were also poor and living in the same basic agronomic environment Mm -hmm. Um, and doing practices that were inherited. um, A lot of food scholars think a lot of Southern food practices were inherited directly from indigenous people, Mm -hmm. pretty much everything having to do with corn, maize um, and it's processing. So what's, oh shoot, what's the name of the corn? Corn grits that have been mixed, that have hominy. been hominy, that have been treated with alkalis, right? Mm. Like that's something that um, that that uh, people of European and African descent in the Southern United States probably learned from indigenous Americans mm. and it results in hominy grits, which thoughts on grits, honey?
1: I like cheese grits. I like grits with butter and salt. Um, I don't like anything else in them.
0: Can't get behind grits. I'm sorry. I love them. Oh, I really like them they when they're They taste like cooked. nothing.
1: Well, we put butter and salt in them. Some people have hot sauce in them. Some people, I like cheese grits. I like yeah. them when they're cooked up a little firmer um, so that you can eat them with a fork. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That, this is how I know that you grew up in Pennsylvania and yes. I grew up in Tennessee.
0: That's right. I grew up eating polenta, which is grits without flavor, basically. Sorry, Italy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's supposed to absorb the flavor of whatever you cook. It cook it with. Um, yes,
0: exactly. Anyway. Granted. Right. Um, so, you know, wh- what is soul food for people outside of the United States who have nothing, no, no idea what we're talking about. So yes, it's like corn porridges called grits. That's a really common, uh, staple. Uh, you're talking about dark leafy greens that were in particular, those in particular tended to be eaten by... Enslaved African people of African descent. Well, and stuff
1: cooked um, with the flavored with the leftovers. Right, so, right. like the bones, the fat, the trimmings. Right. Exactly. Gang. So,
0: if you if you slaughter a hog and you give all of the best cuts to um, to the white people that you're cooking for, what you've got left is bones and stuff that you can throw in with the greens, and yes, it will add a lot down. of flavor, and, beans, and some yeah. a lot of fat, a lot of nutrition into into those greens, and also the reason that um a lot you know greens were eaten in that context frequently is that you're talking about like, for example, beet greens where you're growing the beets for someone else. Mm -hmm. They get the beet, but then you still have the green left Mm -hmm. and you can eat that. Or it's greens that you can forage like dandelion greens, um, things that are are traditionally a source of excellent micronutrients for very, very poor people. right?
1: but then it gets complicated because sometimes soul food has like Creole stuff creeping in. Oh, yeah. Once you talk, so talk about the French influence, become, it's crazy.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, you know, people will say like gumbo mm. um, is soul food. But I mean, technically not really, but it has become adopted and pro- maybe even perfected by African-American populations in Indeed. the South. So,
0: Breaded and fried chicken, uh, breaded and fried fish. Very, very important in soul food. Some scholars have suggested that that tradition might have actually come from West Africa directly because West Africans had oil palm, which now the world has oil palm. And it's like the most popular, you know, fat in our global and agro-industrial system, but it came from West Africa and it's this incredibly abundant source of oil, which is why we use it for everything nowadays. And so frying you know, blossomed in West Africa a long time ago because they had access to enough oil to do it. And it's been speculated or postulated or somewhat documented, I would guess, um, that the tr- f- frying tradition in the Southern United States came that way. It's also, frying is a good way to cook if you don't have an oven Right mm-hmm. and ovens were historically very expensive. Frying allows you to get dry heat. Technically, frying is a dry mm-hmm. heat method because oil isn't—it's liquidous, yeah. but it's not wet.
1: You can do it um, over an open flame. And you can do it outside. over an open flame
0: outside. Exactly, right. And so that's where that comes from. Potentially, that, I mean, that's
1: it's why it's fried and it's stewed. Right, <laughs> those yeah. are the two. <laughs> exactly,
0: that's right. Yeah, and that's what you can do. Um, the other reason that fried food and you know putting a ham bone in with the greens and all that kind of stuff might have blossomed among African-Americans in the South is that they were enslaved and working way too much and way too hard against their will. And you need calories for that. And so it's like incredibly high calorie foods. That totally made sense in an agrarian context, a pre-industrial agrarian context. But now, unfortunately, we have the situation where, like the traditional, beloved food ways of people in the South are killing them. And this is something that you know everybody who writes about nutrition, health and nutrition in the South talks about as just a, a, an enormous problem. How do you tell people that it's time to leave behind your heritage? because your lifestyle has changed so drastically and you don't need that many calories anymore. And it's a big problem. And some, to me, some of the most interesting, you know, chefs that I encountered down in Macon were um, black vegan chefs who were trying to come up with healthy versions, healthy and, and, and meatless versions of traditional dishes and making like pulled pork out of jackfruit and stuff like that. And, you know, God bless you. Like keep, keep doing that. Keep trying to figure out how to, how to make that work and make it tasty. Uh, Cause it's important. Mm. Obviously there's limited utility in listening to two white people talk about soul food. I mean, we're only answering the question because you asked Aria, um, but there's like, if you, you know, there's tons and tons of awesome people doing soul food content on YouTube. One that I like is Kamira's kitchen, Kamira's kitchens with a C um, you know, and she does lots of traditional soul food and healthy soul food and, and all mm. kinds of awesome stuff. So definitely check that out. Definitely just Type in "healthy soul food" on YouTube. There's lots of content creators doing awesome stuff there. Uh, I hope that we have done some awesome stuff here today. I, if I did, it was because of you, honey.
1: Oh, thank you. The
0: the the uh the uh I asked people how they felt about me being on script versus off script, and the answer overwhelmingly was, "You're fine off script if you have Lauren with you, <laughs> but if you don't, you're just like a fish out of water, squirming around." Like at the end of the Faith No More epic video.
1: Well, I jump in when you need help. And because you did such a great job celebrating my birthday all day yesterday, you didn't have time to work on the podcast. So
0: so true.
1: I'm here to help make it smooth after you made such a fantastic birthday for me, so.
0: (laughs) If you would like to help make things smooth around here, um, ask a a question at askadamquestions at gmail. Askadamquestions at gmail. Send me a video or an audio file, ideally, uh, and a little write-up of what your question or comment is. Comments are welcome, too, here. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Stay safe out there and uh, make good choices. Talk to you next time.
1: Bye.